0: What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua. I'm the world's mayor. We are on the Live Mana Network right now, and I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different style of broadcast, because I'm actually going to read from something, but um, and it's only necessary that I read, so I'm sticking to facts. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what this broadcast is going to be about is the... <laughs> It's about these shadow prisons, uh, these, these these hospitals that um, are locking people up with civil commitments, and while I don't have all of the legal terminology down pat, um, it seems like that this is a path that I'm supposed to go down, and the reason why is because I've had the opportunity to meet a really special human being uh, named Tom, and I won't say his last name right now because I don't know if he wants me to. Um, but I've gotten to know him, and Tom was wrongly conv- uh, convicted of of raping a minor, and um, the specifics the specifics on his case are soon going to all be released, and I'm really really excited for that because this man deserves to have his name cleared. But through Tom, we've met a lot of other people that are locked up in shadow prisons. Some of them are in MSOP, which is in Minnesota. There's two, I I believe two. And now Kalinga in California. Of course, we hear from families all over the country um, about their kids being locked up and in hearing about some of the horrors and um, just awful things that are happening there. Now, it's really, really hard to know what the truth is. And with some of the people that we've been blessed to interview, (laughs) we've learned that, well, you know, there's some truth there and not a lot, uh, but not a lot of it. But I believe that we are getting closer to finding out what the truth is because we're meeting other people who have been in the fight. Now I had the opportunity, um, to interview probably one of the more famous Uh, people that are locked up in one of these shadow prisons in kalinga and james Heydrich. and uh, i've gotten to meet a lot of people that are connected to james i've met some very nice people and i've met some people that i have questions about i've also my wife and i've had the opportunity to speak with james's family and uh, if you guys are watching god bless you and really honestly god bless everyone that's locked up uh, in these prisons, and God bless the families of the people that love them. Whether they are guilty or not, God bless them. Um, last night, I was supposed to attend a meeting for MSOP, and, which is, in, again, in Minnesota. But I ended up getting to talk to Tom, who was wrongly convicted. And I've heard his story. I've, I've been face-to-face with him multiple times now, and I've gotten to know him quite well. I've also gotten to see a lot of the damage that was done to him. Uh, I've learned a lot about who he was before he got locked up, and, and and I've gotten to know who he is today. And I I believe he is an innocent man, but he is, gave us a very, very interesting look at what's happening in these prisons, especially, or these hospitals that some call our shadow prisons, mainly because the public doesn't know much about them. And for whatever reason, for even all of the deaths that are happening behind bars, uh, and I think in Kalinga, I mean, just the numbers are really, really high. And I had the opportunity to get some clarity on why these deaths are happening. Now, with some of the people that have been on my broadcast, they've made it sound like, you know, the guards and the the staff are actually the ones that are killing these people. Um, But really, most of it is people are aging out and there's very poor health care. But one of the biggest issues that seems to be going on uh, is the psychological warfare. And it's really, really easy for people to look at prisoners and say, well, they deserve what they get. I can understand why people think that. However, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Well, we live in we have a justice system in America that there's a lot of innocent people behind bars. Maybe they are sinners and maybe they aren't good people, but there's a lot of people that are behind bars and locked in shadow prisons that didn't do what they are accused of. And the torture, the psychological warfare, and by the way, punching someone in the face, uh sucks yes or it sucks to be punched in the face it sucks to be physically abused but psychological warfare to me is probably more damaging words have a lot of power but some of the stories that i've heard that are going on and heard it from somebody that you know is coming from it from a different place again he was innocent he wasn't one of them he has nothing to lose at this point because he served his time and he got out even though he was wrongly accused so i'm going to read an article because i've like i've been able to meet some really really amazing people in this journey in the in the shadow world if you will and one of them her name is barbara she wrote an article uh with the washington washington spectator um copel is her last name barbara copel that I, i'm going to read and I don't want to make a practice of reading too much um, because it can get boring. However, the content of this is, it's pretty powerful, it's very informative, and it's also very factual. And because of that, because she researched and like in, like a true investigative reporter for over a year, and this article is, is her findings, and there's one other one too. We won't read that, but we'll include it in the media kit that you'll find on livemana.org. Um, before I get into that, before I going to play our opening video, but I want to say this: we, my wife and I, uh, Jessica, we we're a nonprofit media organization, and our network is you know also a nonprofit, and we do all this work because that's what we're called to do, and um, we are viewer listener supported, and your donations help us keep going. Uh, We don't, you know, really hit people up much for that, but that's, it is necessary. Uh, These donations are necessary for us to continue to do this work. And we would be grateful if you sowed into us and partnered with us. And look, we have lots of ways that we can serve and help too. I mean, there's on our website, livemana.org, not only can you see where to donate, but you can see our free trainings and the work that we do there. And um, the work, that we do is for anyone who's willing to do the work. Like, we'll help you, we're not gonna do the work for you, but we do have the tools, the assets, and things like that to be able to help you in, in, in a big way. And one of the ways that we like to help people is to elevate the voiceless. And the, the men, and the men I'm sure, actually, I don't even know if there is, there is women in, in some of these hospitals. I don't know why I didn't think they were, I just don't hear about their cases. Um, I hear about the men, but they are voiceless, and there's some really awful things that are happening there, and something's got to be done about it. But the worst thing is, again, it's really, really easy to go, well, they're prisoners, they're criminals. Okay, well, the ones that are innocent aren't. Um, The ones that have served their time don't belong in these shadow prisons um, because they've served their time. And when you hear how they got re-locked up. That part's the most frightening. And what's even more frightening is that what you're about to hear can happen to anybody. Anybody. Whether you're a criminal or not. And that is what's terrifying. But what's even more disgusting about this is that the whole reason why these prisons operate to begin with is because they are cash cows and the evidence of course will all be presented um but something's got to be done about this like right now i don't have that kind of power i'm not in the government to make these changes but i mean it's amazing to me that we have violent criminals and look rape is no joke i'm not uh, it's violent i'm not saying that and this sex offenders yes need to be punished but we have violent, violent criminals that have been left out of prison and they are roaming the streets in major cities. Now, I have my theory as to why that is, but we won't go into that. But I want to stick to the facts. And if you've ever wanted to know about what happens in shadow prisons and hear it from an un... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? She went into it to find truth. She doesn't have an agenda. She's not trying to support sex offenders. She's not trying to you know, justify anyone's crime. She's just looking for the truth. And when you hear what she wrote, you may care too. And that's our hope. We wanna draw attention to this because what's happening isn't right. Taxpayers are being defrauded and um, there's just a lot of bad stuff going on and we wanna get to the bottom of it. I don't know all the facts. We're, We're working on it. But I did feel that it was necessary that I do this broadcast because we've learned a lot more since we've interviewed James and Daniel and Daniel and Daniel's mom and Daniel again and 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 Tom. And then the more people we talk to, we learn a little bit more. So with that said, I'll be right back after this. Welcome back everyone. It has dawned on me, um, I was watching the words that were popping up on the video that my amazing wife made. Um, we're leaving the 99 for the one and um, when we started our foundation uh, right after, I mean literally like days after George Floyd was murdered, I We wanted to be a voice for the voiceless, but we also wanted to elevate the voiceless and, um, and other voices for the voiceless. I can't think of a better example of leaving the 99 for the one than covering this topic. It's not a popular topic. It's not even easy. To have some of these conversations with the, the the guys that we've talked to that are locked up behind those bar, the these these shadow prisons, these hospitals, and I'm not saying that to like go pat us on the back. It just kind of dawned on me like this is what we're doing. I mean, we're truly staying true to our to our mission. I just when I was envisioning the mission, I I didn't see this. I'm not justifying, I will never justify anyone hurting anyone. I don't care what it is, whether it's verbal, physical, sexual, which is, I mean, I guess it could be verbal or sexual. But at the same time, I believe everyone has a right to be heard and even the people that i kind of believe are guilty that we've talked to i don't necessarily believe that they belong in these prisons but the other thing too that i hope over time we're able to do because i think james Heydrich is going to come back on i hope Uh, i just spoke to him on the phone again and you know his case is wild to say the least but let's just say that James is guilty because he's done plenty of bad like it and that he admits to and other things he hasn't but let's just say he is really guilty of what he was said he did I still believe that God can heal him and um, and and I, I but even even If God doesn't heal him and he doesn't choose to accept Jesus and he doesn't choose to go down that path to me it's pretty interesting to learn how he became what he is whatever he is and I actually had a phone conversation with his brother and got to hear a lot that I didn't know and I gotta tell you whatever you want to say about James what I see is a hurt little boy that had every ounce of innocence removed from him at a very early age I know what that's like and I didn't do anything like James at least what James is accused of and um, but I but I was a monster and still healing recovering it's a lot of work and it's not easy but I believe that God can heal anyone and everyone that's willing to let God heal them and then do the work that it takes to get there so I don't know where this is all going to lead but I do know that for whatever reason God has placed these stories in my life and maybe it's part of my own healing journey. Maybe it's coming face to face with people that hurt me. I don't know what God's gonna do. I don't. If I'm able to lead people to the Lord through this, then hallelujah. I don't know what God's going to do, but I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing and one of the things because there's a lot of stories to tell and there's a lot of testimonies to help share and there's a lot of things that God puts on my heart to talk about that are different than this but there's people suffering that shouldn't be suffering right now like God is not welcome in those in that hospital so I want to help God in whatever capacity I'm able to tear down those walls so the Holy Spirit can do his thing. Because I know this, all the evil that we can do in our lives, all the bad that we've done and all the problems that we've caused, well, God gives us an equal opportunity to do that much good, to do the opposite of the evil, to do great, in fact, even do better. Because as far down as we can go, it's even higher, we can go up. That's what I believe. It's what I've seen in my own life. And I believe it for them too. Um, I've had other, you know, I've had friends that have, you know, I've interviewed that their father was a child molester that gave their life to the Lord. God healed them. And they lived their lives as godly men. Like, it, it can happen. And so... Jesus Didn't shun the prostitute he didn't shun the leper and he didn't shun the demon-possessed man. He delivered him is what he did So who am I to reject? Who are we to reject any of God's children whether they're evil or not doesn't mean we need to have them in our lives Um, You know we have to use discernment there But God can heal them too and that's what I want to see happen and I also want to fight against every injustice that I see and this is an injustice what's happening so on to Barbara's article took a long time to get there I apologize so this it was written last year Uh, it says responding to several highly publicized sex crimes and public fears Legislators across the country have adopted statutes that allow the continued imprisonment of sex offenders after they have completed their sentences. Veteran investigative reporter Barbara Coppell has spent the last 12 months reporting on this third rail of the criminal justice system. These are her findings. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to read all of it because it's a long article, but I'm going to just read to give you some context. Since the 1990s, 20 states and the District of Columbia, which is where she is, have passed laws that direct the attorney general in these jurisdictions to appoint professionals to evaluate whether sex offenders who have served their time have mental abnormality or illness that would make them likely to re-offend. If this, If the decision is yes, the men are re-incarcerated, not for past crimes, But for ones they might yet commit in prison-like facilities with barbed wire, cells, like jail cells, guards, and watchtowers. While institutionalized, they receive therapy that, theoretically, will help them control their sexual impulses. Now, stop there. This is my commentary, not what's in the article. I've heard about these therapies and these programs. James alluded to it. Um, and that is where a lot of the psychological warfare and uh, trauma and it happens and it's ugly and I'm hoping that she gets into this so the practice is known as civil commitment the crimes that inspired this legislation were indeed brutal in Washington State Earl Schreiner and by the way if there's children listening please stop because this could be triggering for some people. Earl Schreiner, who was in prison for sex offenses against children, completed his sentence and later raped and mutilated a young boy. The state then passed the county's, the country's first civil commitment law in 1990. Similarly, in New Jersey, Jesse, can't pronounce his last name, who was in prison for assaulting two young girls, was released and later raped and murdered a seven-year-old girl, Megan Kontka. In 1996, the new, Jersey, new Jersey passed its own law, as did others around the same time. These laws sparked legal battles. In 1997, the US Supreme Court, it's Kansas first Hendricks, ruled that sex offenders who complete their prison terms can be locked away again. No new crime, no trial, no set time limits. Is this double jeopardy? The court said no. I wonder if this is Kansas versus James Hendricks. I wonder if that's the guy we're talking about. Supporters of the process argue it protects the public. Critics, however, such as Dr. Richard Wallert, a psychologist in Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, disagree. He says the facts simply don't support it. I've never seen data that show 20 states with civil commitment laws have lower rates of sex offenses or re-offenses than the 30 states that don't. Dr. Fred Berlin, psychologist who runs a sex offender outpatient program at Johns Hopkins Hospital says, they're really a ruse to not put the men back in society. The sex offenses range from the obscene phone calls, lewd behavior in public, and sex with underage partners, all the way up to rape and murder. Organizations and professionals familiar with the abuses of civil commitment are its harshest critics. The American Psychiatric Association, who, by the way, I'm not exactly a fan of, (laughs) because if you get into the history of psychiatry, there's all kinds of evil, but here's what they said. They told their members to vigorously oppose it. Two judges from Minnesota and Missouri found the laws punitive and unconstitutional. Tapala Strickler, a clinical psychologist who worked at the Civil Commitment Facility in Lannard, Kansas, calls it an abomination. But the practice persists at huge cost to individuals and taxpayers. Wait till you hear the money. And I don't know if I'm allowed to share the PowerPoint presentation I have. I'm going to ask permission before I do that one because technically it would be stealing because I don't know if I'm supposed to have it, but I have it. But the numbers are insane. Kansas judge Frank Ullman Jr. Describes civil commitment as a life sentence. Only in the rarest of instances Does anyone once committed ever achieve release Except upon his demise. So as I was talking about all the deaths As Tom told us last night Look, it's lack of proper health care In people aging out, people dying Now, has there been murders? Yeah, James Heydrich said, he actually just on the phone said he murdered somebody, had to, self-defense is what he said. Seen another guy stabbed 15 times. So murders are happening, but most of it is aging out. But some of these people can't even walk, and yet they're still locked in these facilities, not getting proper care. That is cruel and inhumane, in my opinion. Okay, data shows Judge Yeoman, 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 which is Y-E-O-M-A-N, is correct. In Minnesota, of the 720 men committed over the last 24 years, 62 died in custody, and only one was fully released. This doesn't sound like a rehabilitation program to me. In Kansas, 263 men detained after completing their sentences. So these are men that served their sentence were the later rounded up, they weren't doing anything. They were innocent. Like I've heard this multiple times through multiple different channels from different people now. This roundup that happened when these laws enacted, they literally go, okay, who's a sex offender?" And they went and rounded them all up. Some of these men had done nothing wrong at all in years. Years some of them are old 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 like they weren't doing anything They got put in these prisons. So in Kansas of 263 men detained after completing their sentences 36 died and only three were released in Jersey 755 were locked up 58 died and 235 were discharged what's happening in New Jersey that's not happening in other places interesting of the 58 who died, one had a brain tumor that herniated and left him blind. Still, staff at the tre- special treatment center or the special treatment unit at the facility in New Jersey decided he was too dangerous to be let go. A blind guy with a brain tumor was too dangerous to let go. Okay. Ultimately, he was sent to a hospice. And New Jersey is not unique. In all the states, many men who are so old and disabled and that they're in wheelchairs and can't even feed or dress themselves are still locked up. So, some of you are probably saying, well, you can't like put them in a nursing home because, or why would you put them in a, in a, a different facility or send them home to uh, like a uh, like house arrest or something like that? And you're like, well, it costs a lot, taxpayers a lot of money. Wait until you find out how much money you're actually paying versus what they would pay if they were put in a normal, appropriate facility. It's staggering. And keep in mind, I worked in healthcare for 18 years. Like I know how this insurance game works. I, like I've seen the fraud from the doctors, I've seen fraud from the hospitals, I've seen fraud from the insurance companies, and I've also seen fraud from the patients. Everyone's gaming themselves. But this system is really screwed up. Catch-22. The Supreme Court stated that the men who are civilly committed can be released when they prove that they're cured. Yet most of these prisoners, they call them residents or patients. They can't prove it. Why not? Because the inmates are trapped by a series of Catch-22s. And this is what Tom explained last night where the psychological warfare comes in. First, no objective criteria exists to determine if the men even have mental abnormality. It's totally subjective, says Donald Anderson, a lawyer who represents inmates in the Larned facility. After one of his clients, Tim Burch died 13 years in prison for indecent liberties with a minor. The Kansas Prisoner Review Board approved his release, but the court ordered him to be held in civil commitment and he's been there for 17 years. When the Progress Review Board met this past February, it refused to move him further along in the program. So let's get this straight here. He was in prison for 13 years, so I whether you can say he served his time or not, I don't know, but that's what they, 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 they released, you know, he was out. So the board approved his release saying that he was safe now. He, he, he did his time. But the court changed things. Wait till you hear how much money is involved. Second, when the courts review cases, state witnesses twist logic to ensure that the men stay put. So a witness would lie? In one hearing, for example, Dr. Austin not even going to try to say his last name, a past Leonard director and current supervising psychologist, And I will link this article in the uh, media kit on our website. What was it when he was committed? We didn't measure it. How do you know if it hasn't changed if you didn't measure it? According to Anderson, it it didn't answer. Again, I can't pronounce his name. A third snag is the mindset of mental health professionals who make their careers in psychiatric detention facilities. Big money. For example, Jeffrey Nowicki, Chief of Mental Health Services for the Sex Offender Treatment Program at the Central New York Psychiatric Center stated in a deposition for the US District Court in 2014, and I quote, all offenders are by their deviant sexual nature in predatory, and manipulative well i mean i know people that wouldn't be considered an offender to be deviant in sexual nature predatory and manipulative you ever hung out with a narcissist you ever been married to one i mean it's just like they're manipulative this is this is like really weird gray area for me. like this is strange but look Sex offenders, abusers, narcissists. Yeah, I mean, there's some problems there. There is, and they do manipulate. According to the lawyers, mental health workers, and inmates I interviewed in nine states, Nowicki's attitude is typical. Strickler, who was at Lard for three years before she quit, said, decilures, that's told the staff, no one will ever be released. In fact, we learned last night when MSOP was originally threatened. In this case, I'm going to let Tom tell this story because he tells it perfectly. And when he says he can back it up, oh, he can back it up because the timeline is right on point. The letter he wrote to the governor about this one case, like he's been trying to save lives. And, oh, but what they, like they were going to shut down this hospital, but then The powers that be, and again, I keep, we're not to the money part yet, but when you learn about the money involved, you can 100% see why people want these prisons open. According to lawyers, mental health workers and inmates, I've already read that, sorry. How do the career staff in these facilities ensure that no one leaves? They design multi-level treatment programs and require the inmates to complete them. If they don't, there's no exit. However, in 2017, Judge started stated that the laws don't require a man to finish the programs or even participate to be considered for release. He wrote, just because he has not met certain procedural steps, I see no reason he should not be allowed an opportunity to put his evidence before the court. That's the other thing that I want to emphasize here. These people that are going to the prisons, they're not getting in front of the judges. They're going there to disappear. They're referred to as shadow prisons because people don't, they don't, they're not given the normal rights. And then when they fight for their life, they just sound like crazy. No offense for all y'all listening. I don't mean that, but when you talk on the phone and you're pleading your case, you're doing it out of desperation. And when you speak out of desperation, well, you sound crazy. I know. I mean, not where you're at, but I mean, I understand that when no one believes you. And you're telling the truth, and but everything around you is telling you that you're a liar, you're crazy, you're, you know, what, Like, it's an awful feeling. I can't imagine what it's like for the innocent. Further, when inmates do participate and reach the top level, Anderson says that the staff members, staff members monitoring the progress routinely drop them back to a lower level for violating a rule. And it, that rule could be, you farted seriously like they could they could punish you for that it's something it's like it could be anything ridiculous they just they I made up the farting thing I mean of course it could be true but I'm just using the ludicrous example of how they re-punish people and drop you down a level it's an endless game shoots and ladders is the way uh Barbara explained it on the phone when we spoke actually before I'm reading her article <laughs> I was actually going to read the stuff from the meeting And then i talked to barbara and i'm like i gotta read this because she knows this as well as anybody anderson calls the violations that keep the men locked up ridiculous for an example a staff member at lard found a glass perfume bottle in birch's cell the only glass allowed is the window and a video with some brief nudity birch had bought the video from another inmate for whom the staff had approved it but they said birch who reached level five, the highest here, should have known better and dropped him back to level four. Frustrated, he stopped attending meetings, which is another offense, and was then knocked down to level two. Carrie Applequist, Lard's assistant director, told the district court of Wyda County, Kansas, forgive me for pronouncing that wrong, if you don't do the program, you won't get out. Uh, Applequist was approached, actually given phone calls and he did not return or respond to any of them. Inmates in Virginia, maybe you'll respond to me, Applequist. I'll talk to you. You can come on the show if you want. Inmates in Virginia, North Dakota, Minnesota and New Jersey tell stories about similarly irrational rules. For example, in the Avalil facility in New Jersey, inmates watching television Must immediately change the channel if a child appears on the screen. If they don't, it's written up as an incident. They claim that by watching children on TV, we made them our victims. I didn't agree with this, so I got five extra years. But eventually, I said, I did victimize them, so they couldn't use this as an excuse to add on more years. Wow. That David Martin, not his real name. He had, he's been detained at Avenal for 17 years after completing his prison sentence. Martin, like all but two of the 20 men I interviewed, feared reprisals from the staff and asked for an anonymity. Why? <laughs> Boy, I have the vocabulary of a drunk toddler. In Kansas, another lard inmate, John Blake, not his real name, told me he got his cell phone from his wife, he got a cell phone from his wife, who made their granddaughter's name the password on learning this. The staff said Blake had focused on an underage child. Are you for the same reason they confiscated his wall calendars on which he circled the dates of his children's and grandchildren's birthdays. Also, they insisted a bulletin he brought from church was child pornography since it had a drawing of kids. Blake at this time had reached the program's reintegration phase, where he lived in a less secure building on the prison grounds from which the men go to jobs in town. But because of the incidents, he was hauled back to the lard maximum security facility. Oh my God. The it's just it's like there's so much here inmates who ask questions even through freedom of information requests get few answers charles Garina was in new york prison 13 years for molesting an underage girl in 1984 and recommitted for contacting an old girlfriend on facebook and watching pornography on a cell phone committed to marcy four years ago he filed foi requests to learn how many men died there and the number of new inmates each year, each year the omh replied the agency doesn't track that information well someone is Jarena also asked how many men have been released since marcy opened omh replied we do not have the legal authority to order releases technically this is true because only the courts can release somebody but omh recommends who should stay or leave Anderson says, even when judges decide some men can be moved to the phase called transitional living, they're often returned to facilities, often always for technical reasons, not new sex offenses. I know, and this is in quote, I know a civilly committed man from Nebraska who, has, who was back with his family. He drove 50 miles to a concert, and since his parole officer only allowed 50 mile trips, he was brought back to prison and then civilly committed. He's been there for 20 years. not surprisingly the men are very angry and the psychologist tapatha strickler says they should be no kidding yet applequist also told the wyandotte county court that anger was another reason why birch wouldn't be released there's so much here i mean i i could keep going and it's just going to be more reading and more stuff that's just like but I'm gonna link two articles uh that Barbara's written that are really, really powerful. Um and gosh, I wonder if I can find the money project really quick. I wanna find the money. If I can find the money, I want you guys to hear these numbers. Actually, no, wait, it's in my email. I'm gonna read from the (laughs) I'm gonna pull up the press release or the the fact here. And this is about MSOP. Um where'd you go,
1: Tom? Where's your email? here it is. Okay. I'm going to pull this up. So, this, over the last 20 years, Minnesota taxpayers have spent over $1.6 billion for a treatment program that holds those who have committed sex crimes indefinitely after completing their prison sentences. This is a manipulation of civil law to hold people for what they might do. The claim is they were same to stand in trial, but too mentally ill to be released. And this indefinite detention after prison is treatment, not punishment. Yet this treatment is a horror story. Total results have been 94 people dead and 16 fully released, all of them after a 2015 lawsuit that briefly ruled the facility unconstitutional. Okay, This is what Tom was talking about about last night so the court this story how it connects to Tom is wild but and then I have the letter he wrote to the governor he sent it today and I don't know if I can I'll let I'm going to ask permission if I can put it in the media kit I don't know why I can't but, but he was telling us last night about how the, the, they ruled this these facilities unconstitutional so they were going to shut it down so long story short there's a very, very famous case about one of these the prisoner's getting out. But when he met with the parole board, he was told, and, and Jessica, if I'm, help me if I forget, um, um, that he, he, he said, I need more treatment. The, the prisoner was telling them he needed more treatment. Yeah, he, wasn't ready to get out yet. he wasn't ready to get out yet. So they said, Well, oh, you're up for release. He goes, Well, I need more treatment. He goes, Well, if you go to more treatment, you're never going to get out. This is what they told him. And he goes, Well, okay. And then he you goes, know, I guess I'm ready to be released then those weren't the exact words but long story short the dude got out and he raped a young girl at knife point and killed her mutilated her and beat her and everything else so why did this guy get out of prison if he's sane or that of MSOP if he's sane then he's not ready to get out they're closing the program down Hmm. Well, that's the thing we kept talking about the money, right? So let me finish reading this. So, so they, uh, um, so the 2015 lawsuit that briefly ruled the facility unconstitutional. And Minnesota shadow prisons are the worst in the country, with highest per capita commitments, the most cost, in the bottom end of releases. Yet these scandalous facilities don't make anyone safer. Thirty states have no. Such and have seen a greater reduction in sexual violence over states with with these programs. Moreover, the shadow prisons only address sexual violence from a tiny fraction of the already tiny fraction of people already convicted of a crime. The vast majority of the sexual violence, 93%, is done by people without a prior conviction. At most, MSOP reduces sexual violence in Minnesota by point zero zero. Three, five, four, one hundred million a year spent, or four hundred twenty-nine dollars per detainee per day. I could live on four hundred twenty-nine dollars a day. In addition to being ineffective, this massive investment promotes the misleading monster narrative that stops us from understanding what it takes to reduce sexual. Violence. I just want to tell you it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Like, no medication is really going to solve this. It's a spiritual problem. And I know this is an awkward time to say that they need Jesus, but they need Jesus. Because Jesus is the only thing I know that really, really heals you. Because the medication we take doesn't exactly heal us, it may exploit but it creates others listen to a big pharma commercial my god oh this medication that's gonna help you live longer and it goes into the side effects could cause early death but wait hold on you just told me that it's gonna help me live longer but now my, my nuts are gonna fall off uh, my eyes are gonna go black and my head's gonna fall off and, it, like, and then I'm gonna die or I'm gonna die of spontaneous combustion but you just said I was a live longer. Nah, it's a spiritual problem. We need Jesus in these facilities. We need God. You can call me a religious idiot, whatever you want. But I'm telling you, I had demons. Not these demons, but I had demons myself. And the only thing that healed me was Jesus. The only thing that is, healed me is Jesus. And, and, and no medication healed me. Medication made me worse is not helping any of these people. It may, it may make them shut up. It may make them not talk. It may make them not. But you, you're not helping them. You're not healing them. Need hey, Jesus. Of course, when you learn about the history of psychiatry, you understand even more what I'm talking about. So, 100 million a year. This is in. This is for NSOPE. One program. 429 dollars per detainee per. Detainee. I don't know what the math on that, but that's pretty expensive. That's like over... I suck at math really bad, but I would suggest it's close to, what, 30,000? 429... Let's Google this really quick so I don't make myself look like a complete moron. Um, um, 429 times 30. Oh, um, I'm sorry. That would be 13,000. a month. Wow, that's a lot of money. Okay, in addition to being ineffective, this massive investment promotes a misleading monster narrative that stops us from understanding what it takes to reduce sexual violence. Nor has Minnesota ignored punishment and criminal justice protections. Since 1980, and especially since 2005, Minnesota has created strong constitutional ways to punish, making constitutionally dubious shadow prison treatment unnecessary and absurd. Average sentences for sex crimes have doubled. Intense, lengthy, and sometimes lifetime surveillance are standard. Furthermore, since 2005, a life sentence is now possible for single, heinous sex crime. Those who are truly an immediate danger to self and others can be placed in the security hospital. But have greater rights to be assessed and released than in the shadow prisons. We already have needed security apparatus in place. What we need is a stronger investment in preventing violence, supporting survivors, and ensuring accountability in breaking the cycle. Every unit of government, the government, legislators, state, federal courts have tried to fix the scandal that is Minnesota's shadow prisons, but have gotten nowhere. So we are getting together to make a new vision for change thank you for being a part of this and that is the end MSOP coalition. end MSOP coalition. and that is uh, I, that's the email that was the meeting that I was supposed to be a part of last night I got quite the education from Tom and I have their presentation here we scanned through it really quick um, in 2005 last year to which such data is available so there's no new data available more than 60 1, Minnesota residents were sexually assaulted. Some victims suffered multiple assaults for a total of seventy-seven thousand sexual assaults. I gotta think that, that is way higher now. In a single year, that's one point two percent of Minnesota one in twenty teenage girls, one in fifty women, one in one hundred eighteen men, all between the ages of thirteen to forty-five. Eight billion in estimated cost. And 15, I don't know what this is, 1,500 per resident. I probably should have had that. better. Sexual violence levels are higher in Minnesota for low-income people of color and LGBTQ people. Four times if recently homeless, so, okay, okay, times this by four if recently homeless are unable to access food. I mean, we hear about, when we were out the downtown and we were feeding the homeless, you, hear about the sexual violence that happens. Four times greater for LGBTQ than heterosexual ninth graders. Two times higher for American Indian or multiracial ninth graders. Two times higher with free or reduced lunch. So by not taking care of people, by people not having their basic needs, by people not feeling safe, by people not feeling protected, they have become at risk of sexual violence. Wow. Okay. I don't, you know, some of these charts I don't know, but I just want to scan th- through this. Okay. So, reporting violence and legal consequences. Between 2015 and 2019, 70% of sexual assaults were not reported to police. Wow. So that's just 70% of people that are keeping it secret suffering in silence, and that's not going to heal anything. 83% of reports did not lead to arrest. 92% of reports did not lead to incarceration. For every 100 sexual assaults, 2.5 people will go to prison. This is an interesting argument to make, because, you know, there's the injustice of the shadow prisons and what's happening, yet these numbers are pretty staggering too because it seems like not enough people are locked up people are nearly, nearly as likely to be incarcerated for sexual assault as non-sexual assault it's 2.5 to 3.3% even though sexual assaults are reported half as often and lead to 2.5 times less re- arrest the points in part are to the limits of recurrent if this isn't getting survivors what they need what will well maybe the argument that's being made here is that we're spending all of this money to legally lock people up and not give them their basic care and this money could be going towards advocacy supporting victims because victims sometimes I don't know if this is one of the information I have here but victims sometimes become the perpetrator That's, I mean, you, you gotta think about this. People that rape typically have been raped. People that abuse, abuse. It's kinda, I mean, so we're not helping people heal. Like, you think, I and mean, I can go into a whole speech about broken homes, I can go into a whole speech about all that, that stuff. But the fact is, we're not really caring for people, we're especially not caring for our youth we're not caring for victims and we're not creating a safe place for victims to come and be willing to speak out and that's a problem I don't want to spend too much time on this, I just want to go over some of the stuff I see, every year taxpayers in Minnesota make a $100 million dollar investment in shadow prison, prison after prison for people convicted of sex crimes, and by the way these these, um, prisons are being built out and expanded like they're getting bigger, so they have bigger plans for it. So, who's in Minnesota's shadow prisons? According to the Department of Human Services, 739 people held indefinitely in MSOP as of 2022. Do I know some of these people? Hey, there's Daniel. I know Daniel. Daniel, for watching. Hello. Uh, 60- 2% from greater Minnesota, average age 52 years old. 110 people are 65 years old and older. This is out of 739. 50 people committed as juveniles. 72% are white. Interesting. Black people, two times over represented. I don't know what that means. Native and LGBTQ are up to five times overrepresented. Over two dozen trans women are housed in this male-only facility. That doesn't seem safe either. How do people get in? In the weeks or days before one's prison time is over, you are sent to be evaluated and found to be mentally ill and sexually dangerous. Under civil, not criminal law, where you have not committed a new crime, people sane enough to go to prison are suddenly insane, you have less rights than a in criminal court, hearsay is legal. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt, etc. It is far easier to get committed than to get out and by different criteria. Detainees are confined indefinitely for what they might do. It's pretty crime like in the minority report. Indefinite detention is considered treatment, not punishment. Jeez, man. Anyway, there's so much. Um... It's all disgusting. It's not, it's not right. And, um, something's got to
0: be done about it. So again, I don't don't want to just sit here and read the whole time, which I basically did try to give some commentary, but we're going to take a deep dive and dive into this. Um, and the main reason why is because other than the fact that this is unconstitutional not that this government follows the constitution, um, but there's also innocent people that are locked up. Yeah, there's people that were convicted of a crime, served their time, and then thrown back in, which also isn't right. And then there's people that belong there. The fact is there's inconsistencies, but there's a lot of money being made, a lot of money being made in these facilities uh, for the people that own them and operate them. And you gotta, you gotta wonder that, <laughs> you gotta wonder why. And uh, so I wanna know that truth, and we're gonna dig into it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. And, you know, I, you know what, I, 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 we are a ministry (laughs) and, um, we didn't really, you know, read from the Bible or do anything like that today. But, you know, I believe part of uh, being a ministry is, is, is serving the lost and the broken and showing them love. And we want truth and I'm not trying to glorify or, you know, excuse what anyone's done because the guilty, should be punished, but a lot of them have already been punished and served their time. So we want truth. Um, we want the right thing to be done. And I don't really even know what that is, but I do know that there's a lot of wrong happening and a lot of people are getting rich off of it. And that ain't right, especially when there's violent criminals that are being released and going out and doing more crime. You can do I mean, these criminals can come into your home with guns and rape your your loved ones, and you really don't have recourse. Like, you, you shoot them, guess what's gonna happen? Like, some of these laws are getting way out of whack. Anyway, I don't wanna misspeak, because I, <laughs> I was going off on something there. But um, I just, Heavenly Father, I, you've led us down this path for a reason. And I don't know exactly what it is, except maybe to find truth and to, if there's to free innocent lives and to expose evil, then that, so be it. But Lord, I pray that if anyone in the prisons or the family members are listening to this, I just want you to know that I'm, uh, like, touch their heart. Like, touch, touch them with your healing power, Lord. It can be done. You can heal anyone. You can heal anything. And you are a God of justice. You are the God of making things right and for you know the 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 true true evil that's behind bars and that deserves to be there then you give them justice you know, give them the punishment that they that they need but Lord let justice be had too and for people that have served their time and have been done wrong let's give them a retrieval give them new life give them an opportunity and give them an opportunity to share the truth I also believe, Lord, that the people that did, that were inappropriate with kids and raped and hurt other people, I believe that you can forgive them too. And you can use their testimony to touch others. And made you, mind you, maybe their testimony doesn't reach the masses. Maybe it's not the, the easiest testimony to listen to. But there is a certain demographic in this world that their testimony is meant for. And you are the God of redemption. And you are the God of healing and the only way to really heal is with truth. So bring truth, bring your truth, and let's bring a light to the shadow prisons and the shadow worlds and let your healing begin. I love you, Lord, and please, Lord, touch the family members of of the victims, of the the innocent, but also the, the, the victims of the guilty. Touch them, heal them, and give them an opportunity. Make use of their pain Give their purpose, give their pain purpose, and give it the opportunity to elevate others and to help others heal. We love you, Lord, and I surrender this broadcast to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching. Have a wonderful day.
1: Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved our I am found was blind, but now I see I once was lost, but now am found was blind.